Uh, good morning, Grace Life Church. Uh, it is a joy, an immense joy to be with each and every one of you. Uh, I do bring greetings um, from Beltway Park Church in Abilene, Texas. If you want to know where Abilene is, all you guys need to do is hit I-20, start west. A few miles from here, uh, you'll run across Abilene. All you got to do is take high, uh, exit 288 in Abilene, Texas. That exit 288 means from the eastern border of Texas, you have 288 miles till you hit Abilene. Our church is a couple miles off on that exit right there. And if you're going across Texas, you've got another 400 miles um, before you get to the other side. But there's a group of believers there doing exactly what you're doing. We are asking God to use us. We don't care about our name. We don't care if anybody ever knows who we are. I don't care if you remember my name or the name of our church. I want you to remember the name of Jesus because he is the only name that matters. He's the only name that can change lives. He's the only one that can do a work in the world. And what I, what I love about this church, and I, please hear me, I do a lot of church. I've been doing church since I was 13 years old, um, brought to church, a wonderful church like this on a church bus because people love me, met Jesus, gave my life to him, and have been around church and ministry of church for a long time. And I'm telling you, this church is solid. I've been around a lot of pastors. I've been around a lot of elderships. I got to spend the last couple of days with your elders. They are men of God seeking after God. You are in great hands. You know Pastor Jimmy. You know Ramona. I am telling you, these men, uh, women that lead this church are wonderful. And the destiny that God has for this church, I think when you come in and you step foot in, one of the reasons you're here, we want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And you know you're part of something bigger. From this church, God's going to touch the world for eternity. The thing in Afghanistan is very real. We are partners with the same ministry. Uh, I know the leadership. Uh, I, my wife, Jeanette, who's here, um, we've made a personal investment. Our church has made a personal investment in the believers. We're actually rescuing the believers out of Afghanistan right now. And so we're grateful um, to have partners like that. But it's not the only thing we do, man. I mean, just like you, we're all over the world from us, little old Abilene, Texas, Columbia, South Carolina. We are touching the world. That's what God does. Because we're here because a group of Jesus followers in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago believed God would do that. We're going to believe the same thing. You know, it was a few months ago, and um, I did this radical thing. I went to the gym where I'm a member. I know it's a radical thing to actually go to the gym where you pay a membership, um, but I did that. Now, the gym that I go to is one where you do everything in a class. I made a discovery that I work out harder when I do it with other people. It's almost as if God designed us as humanity to do things in community. You will get that later. And so in this class, what we do is somebody designs a workout, you go and you do it together. On this particular day, I looked at the workout because they posted on an app ahead of time. And as soon as I read the workout, I thought, I can do this. This is all things that I'm good at. I have the skill set and such. This will be no problem. So the main part of the workout had to do with a bar like this set up just like this. It is 95 pounds. And what you would do is you would take this 95 pounds and you just throw it on your shoulders. And then we would walk 800 yards. And then you did a couple other workouts. That is one round. And then you did it again. You did it three times. And so I looked at this and said, no problem. There's a lot of skills at my gym I can't do. I'm an old man. I'm just telling you that. My body doesn't do things it used to do. But I can push weight. 
So people who had done this workout already were saying how hard it was, but I'm thinking, no problem, I got this. So I put the weight on my shoulders like this. I took off first 100 yards. I'm bebopping. I'm doing a little dance, thinking you guys are making too much of this. And about 100 yards, things started to change a little bit. I'm going, huh. And there's not quite as much swagger in my hips, not quite as much bebop. At 150 yards, I'm thinking, I overestimated my ability and underestimated this workout. And at 200 yards, revelation knowledge from heaven hit me. <laughs> And this thing that felt very light when it started was getting very heavy, very fast. And I was 200 yards into 2,400 yards. I carried this weight almost 1.4 miles. I can remember at the end of the final round, the end of 2,400 yards, I got there and what I did, which I promised I would not do here, is I picked this thing up and I just chunked it as far back as I could. And as soon as that weight came off of my shoulders, it hit the ground. Something hit the inside of my being. Joy. <laughs> like immense, intense joy because I was no longer weighted down by these weights and such. I felt the relief. And so what was happening is I felt the Father show me something in the midst of this. You see, it was the Saturday before Easter Sunday that we did this workout. And I was already contemplating the impact of the resurrection on the life of the believer when it hit me that the joy I felt when I dropped this weight is supposed to be something that's increasingly true in my life as a follower of Jesus in life. It's what God desires for us. Hear me, God desires us to walk in increasing joy. And the reason for that is God wants to lift the weight off of our shoulders. He wants to increasingly free us from what weighs on us. Let me think about it just for a moment. When we as people try to describe what we're feeling, when life is difficult, when life is stressful, when life is problematic, maybe like right now, pandemics, possibility of inflation and recession and all the stuff you hear all the time. It's interesting, we use the image of weight to try to describe it. It's like, I really can't tell you, life just feels weighty right now. Things are just heavy. And when we feel like some of that has released a little bit and things are better, the problems have decreased, the stress is a little less, we say, it feels like a weight has been lifted off of my shoulders. Believe it or not, we as a society, we get that image from scripture. The scripture says in Hebrews 12, chapter one, it says, let us lay aside every Weight, which clings so closely, and let us, the sin, which is so nearby, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now look closely at that verse for the second. I mean, it tells us something very, very clearly. Everything that weighs us down in life has to do with sin. Now, I'm not saying it has to do with your personal sin. Sometimes it's our own sin that causes life to be weighty. Sometimes it's the sin of others. Do you know that when you love people, and they begin to do foolish things that you know are going to bring pain and harm to their lives that weighs on you. If you're a parent, you get it. Your kid starts to be an idiot, continues to be an idiot, however you want to say it, and they start doing really foolish things. There's a weight on you. You have good friends that are in your group, brothers and sisters, and they begin to sin, drunkenness, immorality, things such as that, and you know the problem's going to bring to your life. It weighs on you, not your sin, but it still weighs on you. And sometimes 
this fallen world. Pandemics. Was it any individual sin? Probably not, but disease entered the world because of sin. We know the effects and the weight because of sin. See, everything that weighs us down in life has to do with sin in, in our life. What God desires for our lives, the reason that Jesus rose from the grave, is so that you and I could increasingly be free from that which weighs us down. That God wants that which weighs on us off of us, specifically the weight created by our sins. It is the message in probably my favorite chapter in the entire Bible, the eighth chapter of Romans. Now, some of you like to bring your Bible to church. Some of you are new school, and you just like the words on the screen and stuff like that, and you trust us either way. But if you want to go to the eighth chapter of Romans, you're going to see this, but I implore you, you need to read this chapter this week. If you just, we just grabbed hold of all the promises in Romans 8, we could walk a strong light. Seven chapters in Romans, Paul has laid out the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What God did for us on the cross, what he obtained for us. And then in chapter 8, he talks about how the gospel transforms not just our next life, but how the gospel actually transforms our day-to-day -day life. Romans 8 verse 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. The penalty for our sin has been paid. It means when we stand before God as judge, once we're in Christ Jesus, we don't have to pay the price that our sins demand. We're no longer obligated to that. We have eternal life. But the impact of the resurrection, listen to me, it's not just about the next life. What we do in church, whether we're online or in person, it doesn't matter. We come here not because it's some obligation of a little debt that we have to pay and just go through the motions. There's something about supposed to something supposed to happen in our Monday life, our Tuesday life, our Thursday life. The gospel transforms our day-to-day -day life. Verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free. Somebody shout free. free. See, even as you say that, something rings inside of you. I want to be free. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. See, this is incredible, but in Jesus, you and I have power over sin. Sin in our own life and the effects of sin in our world. When I live increasingly in victory over life, guess what I carry? Less weight. What would it feel like right now to feel less weight in your life? See, some of you are thinking right now, that's an impossibility. I actually think it's a promise. It's what we are designed to walk in to bring hope to the world. In his letter to the churches of Galatia, the Apostle Paul laid out two kinds of lifestyles. He contrasted them. He says in Galatians 5.19, now the works of the flesh, hear that, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, there's idolatry and sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, um, orgies, and things like these. Now, when you read a list like this, all of us identified with some of them say, I did that one, I did that one. Yeah, that one's been true of my life. And here's what we know. From personal experience, we know those things start out fun. You're not supposed to say that in church. I realize that. But sin is actually enticing. It's actually fun until it's not. Because what happens is the enemy baits us, and we begin to sin, and we think things are great, and then all of a sudden, right on our shoulders, wait, 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 and life gets heavy. 
but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mercy, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's not a law. And we also know these have been true in our life, and we know that when we live them, they're not as easy at first, but the end result is less weight in our lives. We know these are good things. So you think the natural thing we would do is that we would gravitate towards that which is easier, and we would stay away from that that brings weight in our lives. But guess what? We don't. You and I know we still have this struggle inside of us. I can prove it to you. You can walk into any room, and let's say there's several doors, and one of those doors says, do not enter. What do you want to now do? You want to go through that door, right? You had no desire to go through that door whatsoever until somebody told you not to go through that door when they told you not to do it. Now I want to do it. What is that? It's that flesh. It's that sin, wanting to do that which we are not supposed to do. It is that same reality in our life. Sin causes us to be a part of things that we're not supposed to. See, Romans 8, 3 says, for God has done what the law, hear that, weakened by sin, the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, Jesus condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but we walk according to the spirit. Now, I know those are a lot of religious words and you have to chew on those. Let me describe them for a minute. God gave Israel of old his requirements, what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. It's called the law. In Israel, if they lived by the law, they would have less weight, and if they didn't live by the law, they had more weight. And you think, again, they would choose the route of less weight, but they didn't. Again and again, they chose the route of more weight. They chose what was wrong and weightier in their life, even though they knew what was right and what was wrong, just like we do. It shows us a reality. Knowing what God requires doesn't give us power to do it. Some of you are old enough to remember um, the old commercial. Frying pan, grease, egg was cracked. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Oh, don't take drugs. And you think that little bit of knowledge would cause us not to have a drug issue in America. Did it work? Knowledge does not empower as much as we think it does. Knowledge of right and wrong doesn't give us the power to do that which we need to do in life. See, sometimes when people read the New Testament, what they think is that the New Testament says the Old Testament law was bad. It's not what it's saying. The Old Testament law was great. It was God's perfect design. But the purpose of the Old Testament law was never to save people. It was never to deliver them. It was never to make them free. It was to show them that on their own, they cannot be free. The entire purpose of the law was to show our powerlessness, our need for a deliverer who could give us what we really need to live as God wants, no matter the situation. And in his victory over the grave, Jesus shows us that he, and he alone contains the power. He has the power over life and death. He has the power over sin. And what he does is he offers us life and says, I can give you eternal life, but your eternal life doesn't start when you die. It starts the day you say yes to me. And I'm gonna give you victory after victory after victory in your actions and in your mind. And when you do that, guess what you have? Less weight, more joy. Less weight, more peace. Now, the question always arises, 
man, if I have given my life to Jesus, I've become his follower, I'm saved, I've taken his hand, I'm taking step after step and step with him. Why do I still struggle with sin? I mean, I don't know, I think, hardly any of you. I know this, not a one of you is perfect. I mean, I can look out and you look just like the people in Abilene, Texas in a lot of ways. And I know this about each and every one of us, me included, I struggle with sin. I struggle with right and wrong. I still do this and we wonder why. Well, the scripture says, like a newborn baby, newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may notice the phrase, grow up into salvation. So a couple of months ago, my second child, my, one of my daughters, gave birth to my fourth grandchild. Now, I know I don't look old enough to be a grandfather. Um, see, I gave you an opportunity right there to encourage a man. I set the ball on the tee. You could have thrown out at least a mumble of an amen. That's right. You, you're looking good for an old man. I get that. But don't do it now. It doesn't help you. But anyway, got my fourth grandchild. I hold that baby two months old now, Caden. He doesn't look like me yet. He can't do the things I can do right now. He's every bit as human as I am. Everything that he needs for his humanity, he has. Back up six months in the womb, he was just as human as I am. Everything he needed for his humanity, he has. But he has to grow up into all that he already is. Same is true as a follower of Jesus. Once we truly say yes to follow Jesus, truly his Part, our existence in him. We're as Christian as we can ever be. But what we have to do is we have to grow up into who we already are. That's what we spend the entirety of this life doing, growing up into who we already are in Christ Jesus. So years ago, I was listening to a cassette tape. For those of you who are a bit younger than me, you can Google later what a cassette tape is. Um, but I was listening for a message before there were podcasts, anything like that. It was Dr. E.V. Hill of Mount Zion Baptist Church in inner city Los Angeles. He's an African-American preacher. Man, Dr. Hill could preach. I, I loved to listen to him. He had this gravelly voice. It wasn't because he was a smoker. It was because he was a shouter. And he would preach and such, and he'd make me want to get in my car a hanky and start shouting and say, come on, pastor, preach! <laughs> you can actually still, what I'm going to tell you about, you can actually still Google, and you can find remnants of parts of this message that he did around on the internet right now. I'll never forget. I'm listening to it. Found a video of it later. And Dr. Hill is talking about growing up into our salvation. And he does this masterful thing where he just holds up one finger. And he goes, this is you. Run and rotten from birth. Destined for hell apart from God. And then by the grace of God, you find Jesus. And he covers you with the robe of righteousness. And now, when God looks down upon you, he does not see you, but he sees Jesus. This is your position in Jesus. But there is only one problem. In my day-to-day -day life, I do not live like my position, and I look, and there is the old man trained under the mastery of sin who rears his ugly head again and again, so I do not live according to my newness in Jesus Christ. This is my 
condition. This is your position. This is your condition. And the journey of the Christian life is God by his grace with our cooperation is taking your condition and making it more and more equal to your position. It is a journey of sanctification where God by his mercy makes us more and more like the newness we already are in Jesus Christ. Do you want to hear some good news? I said, do you want to hear some good news? God is faithful. We do not have to fear because he is going to bring to completion that which he has begun in Jesus Christ. No one, I said no one can snatch you from the hand of the Father and one day you can bet the farm on it that he is going to make your condition equal to your position and we are going to stand before the Father giving praise for the glorious gift of salvation. Somebody shout hallelujah to the Father. It is no wonder that the Apostle Paul ends the eighth chapter of Romans by shouting, no, in all these things. What things? Life. Pandemics. Inflation. Divorce. Rebellious children. Difficult decisions. Uncertainties. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Listen to the promise. Let it sink into your spirit. In Jesus, we have victory over sin and the effects of sin. However, even as we say that, we know, even if we can't verbalize it, we know that we can actually stunt that. We can walk in less victory. There are believers all over who are carrying more weight in life than we need to carry in life because we are stunning, slowing down our growth in Jesus. We lessen the victory we have over sin. Paul actually says it in Romans 8, verse 5. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds. Listen to the phrase, set their minds on the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set your mind on the flesh is death. To set your mind on the flesh is weight. But to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Notice when our mindset is on the flesh, our focus. It increases weight in our life. But when our mindset, our focus is on the spirit, we have more and more victory. We have peace and joy. We have less weight. You see, the reality is this, our focus determines our level of victory over sin. Our focus determines our level of victory over sin. Our focus determines how much we're going to carry in this life and the weight we're going to carry. Ephesians chapter 4. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. If I may, put off your condition. 
to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created in Christ Jesus for true righteousness and holiness. See, we put off the old man, we put on the new man by a renewing of our mind. It has to do with the changing of the attitude. It has to do with our focus. Our focus determines the level of victory we have in life. In fact, I'll make this statement. You gotta write it down, you gotta remember it, you gotta chew on it. The habits of your mind are the most important facet of your Christian journey. Listen, I know I've made an extreme statement. I dare you to go to the scripture and see if I'm wrong. The habits of your mind are the most important facet of our faith journey. The weapons we fight with, Paul says, are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Come on, how many of you want strongholds defeated in your life? Hands up. The rest of you are liars. Everybody wants strongholds. Where are the strongholds? We demolish arguments in the brain. Every pretension, a thought, everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to the obedience of the truth of Jesus Christ. The primary place of battle in our lives against the enemy is our mind. See, if I'd ask you today, where do we fight the enemy? You say, oh, baby, he comes and he possesses people because we watch those movies. I don't know why we watch those movies, but we watch those movies. And though, you know, those movies that tell us the demons have powers to come take us and the people of God don't have enough power to do anything about it, which is all a lie. And we think it's all about possession and exorcisms and things like that. No, those things are real. I've seen people possessed by demons. I've seen Jesus set them free. But do you know where the primary place of battle is? the mind. What is a temptation? Is it not just a whisper of the enemy? To have us go in a way that leads against the ways of God and then causes more weight in our life. The primary place of battle is the mind in life. It is why, if you want to know the truth, it's why believers struggle to pray. It's why we struggle to read the scripture. You, you've done it. You said, baby, I'm going to have my quiet time. And I get up a little bit early. I open my, my Bible and your brain just starts going, Phew. it goes from nothing to fifth gear, all these thoughts, all these ideas, da, 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 da. and you can't even focus. You read like three verses and go, what did I read? You try it again. You try to pray, and you find your mind going all over the place. It's almost like you have an enemy who doesn't want you to have victory. Yeah. See, we absolutely have an enemy. Now, by the way, I'm not convinced that the enemy knows he's defeated. See, I absolutely am confident on the cross and over the grave. And in the grave, Jesus overcame the enemy. But the Bible says that the enemy fell from heaven because of pride, and his primary tool is deception. So it makes sense that one who is a deceiver is, him, is himself deceived. And I think he's deceived into believing he can still have victory over God and over his children. So when the enemy fights, he does not fight as a defeated foe. He fights as one as if he can defeat God, and the way he can get to God is to get to you. So he is fighting with everything he has against you. And the primary place he does it is in the, at, in the place of our mind, in the place of our thought life. The primary place of the battle is the mind. For to set your mind on the flesh is death. Wait. But to set our minds on the spirit is life and peace. So the most important thing we do each and every day is the choice of where we're gonna set our minds. 
the focus. And let's be honest. Our nation, if it has anything, it has a lot of stimuli, doesn't it? I mean, you have a lot of things vying for your attention. A lot of things. I mean, let's be honest. We can't tell Pastor Jimmy this, but right in the middle of worship, first service here, what happened? A little ding from somebody's phone came over, and we're going, somebody was diving for their phone, saying, man, I plugged it in. I didn't turn it off. Something. That alert came along. I've got my phone in my pocket. You know, they, they talk, social scientists actually talk about a thing they call a phone ring, fake ring. People who carry their phones in their pockets like I do actually feel the phone ringing when it's not ringing all the time. And so you, you feel it, and it's, oh, it's ringing. And you put it, it's not ringing. How did I feel it ringing? We're so attuned to trying to make sure we get what's on this that we're making up the ring. That's why we struggle to sleep sometimes because we sleep with this by our bed. We're kind of listening to it. We're listening for it, and we can't even go to sleep. It's fine for our attention, alert. This, this. You get on social media. Have you ever gotten on your phone and you were going to do one thing and then all of a sudden, 30 minutes later, you forgot the first thing you got on your phone to do? And you got on this because you had this alert, you had this message, you had this. You start looking, you get on social media, you start scrolling, and it's like, never ends. And you have all this attention coming at you, all these things vying for your attention. I'm old enough to remember when you had three channels on TV. Now, I have no idea how much is available because you don't even just have the channels on cable yet. Netflix and Hulu and Prime and all that kind of stuff, all these things vying for your attention. Of the things we need to do, if you want victory, the most important thing you do is deciding where to put your focus. One of the reasons I've given my life to developing the local church is the primary purpose of the local church, we exist to help each other set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We're not just a religious thing to do on a religious day so we get religious returns. We want to help each other walk in life in peace. And so we set our minds on those things. That's why I believe more than ever, gathering together in corporate worship is more important than it ever has been. And not just coming and going through the motions, engaging songs of worship. They'll set your mind on things if you engage. I love having an online campus. We had online campuses before the pandemic and all that stuff. I love people being able to stay connected um, in times that they can't be connected. We, we call it a plan B. Online is a great plan B. It's a sorry plan A. And so if you're online right now, I love you, and I know a lot of us need to be online right now, but as soon as you can get back in person, I encourage you to get back in person because there's something about gathering together as God's people. Worshiping, praying, it sets our minds. But listen to me. Going to church once a week. Man, let's be honest. Once a month? That's not a bad thing. I, I mean, that's why we do online. There's people, we just get to travel. We get to go visit family. We get to do stuff. You keep up online. But even if you go every week, it's not enough. You got to open the book. You got to meditate and chew on the scripture. You gotta identify the lies of the enemy that you're believing in your lives and replace it with the truth of God so we can walk in peace. Read some good books. I know it's a radical thought. Get some good books and read them. I am not a fan of blogs. Blogs are people who take about 10 minutes to write something and they put it down in opinion and idea. It's not always well thought through. There's probably some well thought through ones. I'm a real fan of books. Most people say a book contains two years of the thoughts of an author's life. So at least he's chewed on it, he thought of it, he's tried to develop it. Read some good life-giving books. Turn off everything and be silent with God. Worship, man. You don't have to wait for church to worship. That is one of the good things about these. 
I got all sorts of worship from everywhere. Plug it in. I take walks. I engage God. I listen to the songs I'm singing. I'm in my car. You know, in my car, they don't complain about how loud the music is. I just turn it up as loud as I want. I'm getting it. I got one hand up. My eyes are open. I'm giving worship to God. We've got to be a people who do the things that are necessary to engage our minds and to focus our minds in life. Set your minds. I challenge you, listen to me. Set your minds on the things of the Spirit. Make it your priority. And you know what you're going to find? Less and less weight. Write down Isaiah 26, verse 3. The prophet declares, Oh God, you keep in perfect peace. He whose mind is steadfast on you. His focus is on you because that person is trusting in you. What you're looking for in life will not come from a change in circumstances, but it will come from an increased focus on the reality of God no matter the circumstance. And then the amazing happens. Once we shrug off our weight, we actually have the ability to help others carry their weight, which then fulfills part of our purpose in life. Galatians chapter six says, brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him with a spirit of gentleness. Verse two, bear one another's burdens. Carry each other's weight. And in doing that, you're gonna fulfill your purpose in Christ Jesus. And see, here's what's amazing. You think, man, I'm gonna shrug off my weight so I can carry someone else's weight. But what happens is when you begin to carry someone else's weight with Jesus, you're yoked with Jesus. And Jesus does an amazing work. It was Jesus who said this, what? For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Let's all bow our heads online in person right now just for a moment. Here's what I'd ask of you. To ask the Spirit of God, how can you increase the focus of your day-to-day life to set your minds on God? That's it. If you go away just assessing the message, saying that boy from Texas, he is loud. He was this, he was this. Does no good. I'm just going to tell you right now, forget the message and ask the Spirit of God right now, how can you set your minds on Him? What needs to change in your day-to-day life? What are some things? What's one, two, or three things right now that the Spirit of God is saying? This is what you can do to set your mind on Him. This is what you can do the rest of today. This is what you can do when you go to sleep. This is what you can do when you wake up. This is what you can do in your car. This is what you need less of. This is what you need more of. Spirit of God, speak to us right now. Speak to us. Now, whenever he speaks to you, you say yes to him. You say yes and say, God, give me the grace. Give me the courage to live this out. Choose the path of life and peace. Less weight and the joy that comes with it. and Carry that with you into a world that needs it. And maybe you have never said yes to be a follower of Jesus. And you're sitting there right now saying, I want that life without weight and less and less weight in my life. You need that. Well, you say yes to Jesus right now. 
Listen to me. Saying a prayer will not make you right with Jesus. Making a commitment to follow him is what makes you right. You give him your life. But we have to use words to make that commitment. Saying the vows at a wedding ceremony does not make you married. The commitment of your heart that the words express is what makes you married. But right now, you can say the words that express your heart. You can just say, you can pray it after me right where you are. Just say, dear Father, I am a sinner who cannot save myself. I'm carrying a lot of weight I don't want to carry any longer. I don't just give my weight to you, oh God. I give you my life. And I take up your life. And I agree to be your father. I receive forgiveness. I receive life. I receive joy. I give you everything I have. And I receive from you everything I do not deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.